0: You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production.
1: Welcome to another edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. Today is actually going to be part one of a two-part series as I sit down with the one and only Stu Breguier. He's been the executive producer of Glenn Beck's radio show for many years, and he's the host of his own Blaze TV program, Stu Does America. He and I talked about how in the world he became a Toronto Blue Jays fan, the great story about his foul ball incident, the many jobs he's had, and of course how he met Glenn in the first place. It was a fun conversation. Here's part one of two with Stu, technically Steve Bragir. Stu Bragir.
0: Mm. Did, did I pronounce that correctly? Very good. Yes. Good, good. I've known you for a very long time, so you shouldn't have. You shouldn't be having problems with that anymore.
1: Yeah, but I do have a, an admission to that. You know, I was the call screener for the Glenn Beck radio program
0: for quite a while. Yes. And for whatever
1: reason, I needed to spell your name on a regular basis. People wanted to send you stuff to the show here at the studios, et cetera, et cetera, and give them the address. Letter
0: bombs and such. Right, Mm -hmm.
1: yes. And I remember I had taped above my position there where I screened the calls, your name spelled out. (laughs) Because I could never remember, and I'm sure right now, I, I, I'm not even going to try. Yeah. I'm sure I could do it, but uh, it would take a
0: while. It took my wife a while. Uh, <laughs> she did not know how to spell her own name for quite some time. Eventually, you just you just memorize it. Uh-huh. The big the hardest part being that there's three consecutive vowels, which is not normal. U uh, I E.
1: I mean, that's what middle. it is. Yeah, that's it's not okay. you know
0: it's in the middle there somewhere. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't track it down right now, but it's in the middle there somewhere. Three vowels in a row, not common. That's awesome. And and I did not properly set this up. I did not
1: explain right out of the gate your biggest title, which I'm sure you assume I'm going to say executive producer of the Glenn Beck radio program and host of Studos America on Blaze TV. I mean, sure. That's yeah, uh, not where I'm going. Not where you're going. Ladies and gentlemen, I am talking to the, the number one Canadian sports celebrity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Super gear. That is true. Uh, I've known throughout Canada. Uh-huh. Uh I was on Canadian a lot of Canadian media at least yeah. one weekend. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, yeah, take us take us to that weekend okay. uh, and that experience that you had there at the Toronto Blue Jays game. Your front row. That was a couple years ago. What happened? Yeah. So
0: uh, <laughs>
1: I know you've told this story a million times.
0: No, it's a it's a fun one. It so is. I am a, a Toronto Blue Jays fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on a little league team. Called the Blue Jays when I was five. Is that
1: how? That so happens? that's
0: how that started, yeah. and I became a Blue Jays fan. We went seven and three that year, by the way. Nice. Um, and I just became a fan, and, and it stuck with it the whole time. So you know, there's some good years there. Ninety-two, mm-hmm. ninety-three World Series. Then it got a little, got a little cold, a little, mm-hmm. little dark, dark period for the for for Toronto, uh, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays, which I of course refer to as America's team. Um, well, they are in the American League. Let's be honest. That, there you go for that. <laughs> Very good. Uh, so uh, I would occasionally, when, you know, whenever the Blue Jays would come into town, I'd try to see their games. Uh, and a couple of times, I've gone up to Toronto for like a, a, a weekend um, cool. just to just to check out the city and, and check out games. So I went up with a friend uh, to um, to what used to be sky dome is now rogers center Mm -hmm. and it's a great location for a park i mean it's right in the middle you know right downtown in uh in toronto right next to the cn tower that ridiculously you know tall tower that's next door so did all the little touristy things it was really fun and we stayed at the the hotel that is actually inside the park so nice yeah if you look at the background and it's the only park i think that does this but if you look at the background behind, uh, you know where you'd hit a home run in center field, you see the glass windows, and they're actually hotel rooms. You can stay in them, and wow. you can you can watch a game from up there. You can watch them, you know, hit BP. It's really cool, yeah. and, you know, it's it's a really fun experience. Even if you don't like the Blue Jays, it's just a fun. Sure,
1: trip. yeah, I know the Braves have a hotel just outside of the, uh, of the outer okay. limits of outfield. Mm-hmm. I've looked into those rooms, and I'll never be staying in them. <laughs> you're saying
0: that this hotel is actually. Part of the stadium. It's part of the stadium because it's a dome too. So like you're actually inside the stadium. Oh, so like cool. so you know when you're after the games you go up to the room. They did one of those things where they let all the kids run around the bases. Like every kid in the stadium and it was just just sitting there just like having a beer looking out uh, towards yeah, the stadium cool. watching all the kids run around. It was it was yeah. just fun. It's it's a great part. And plus like before the games you'll watch the pitchers out there doing long toss and you know yeah. it's just it's just cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided one of the three games we were going to three games and one of them I was going to really spring for the best seats in the house. <laughs> and so I'm looking through I'm going through like StubHub or something and I find the best seats in the house they are called the in the action seats <laughs> and if you look <laughs> appropriately <laughs> yes. named it's called in the action so if you look at the park and the way it's laid out down the, the first base line as every park is like that you know it's a straight wall and for whatever reason they have this little jut out of one row into the field and there's maybe I don't know 10 seats it's not a lot it's definitely not a lot so i got seats in that row and they were expensive seats and the blue jays weren't even good this year so it was uh you know it was a waste of money in in in, 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 in to, to most people so we go down there and we're sitting down there and i'm thinking to myself before the game starts if the ball comes over to me i'm like I- on the field mm-hmm. i can put my hand over the fence and touch the grass like so, you the the turf so like a good fielder you knew what you were going to do with the ball if it came your way. That's what I was thinking, right? Because I didn't want to be the idiot, right, that does the wrong thing. What ha- you don't want to be the guy from the the Cubs, um, Bartman. Bartman, right? Yeah. Who, by the way, how is he not thrown a first pitch out at, at a Cubs game yet after he they won the World want Series? To be I know, he does not want to be at all. Yeah, I know. I feel, I feel bad about Me that story, too, yeah. but you know, Bartman is the guy who who you know kind of basically robs his team of a good play. So, and I'm thinking to myself, he he took away a catch. That could have happened, right? That's what he did. Mm-hmm. That was bad, right? Yep. Now, Jeffrey Mayer from the Yankees, in the Yankees game, reached over the fence and got a home run against the Orioles and pulled it back over the fence and they gave the Yankees the home run. So my thought here is, I'm trying to calculate this before the game, okay? okay? So, all right. The ball comes over to me and if a Blue Jay hits it, I want to grab it. Right, if the other team hits it, I don't want to go near it because I want the Blue Jay to try to catch it. Yeah, right. That's my theory going into this game, and I have this all mapped out. Now, when the moment happens, I forget all of that. Uh Like there, all I do is I I see the ball and it's coming towards me, (laughs) and uh, it was uh, Colby Rasmus that was up. Colby Rasmus is up. He's the outfielder. Um, he was hitting like 202 at the time. So, I mean, the chances of him getting a hit were pretty low anyway. So he pops it up. It's coming right to me. And I'm like, oh my God, this ball's coming right to me.
1: And at that point, you don't remember who's batting, um, probably what city you're in, yes, your I've, name. The
0: ball's just coming toward you. My giant plan of <laughs> what I'm going to do in this situation is totally out the window. Okay. So the ball's coming over to me. And I afterwards realize I've done. according to my plan, the right thing, which is to try to catch the ball. A Blue Jay hit it. Uh I don't want to give the... They play the Rays, I think. I don't want to give the Rays guy a chance to catch it, so I should go after the ball. But I don't have to go after the ball. The ball comes right to me. Right to you. Right to me. Right in my lap. So I'm standing up. I reach it. my hands up in the air. I'm well within where my seat is. Uh Uh-huh. And I catch the ball, and I'm thinking to myself, the only thing that popped into my head in the middle of this was, don't be the idiot who drops it. (laughs) <laughs> Don't yeah. be the moron. So now your
1: priorities have changed.
0: Yes, totally. I just didn't want to drop the ball because I knew <laughs> if I did, it would be on this network five thousand times, and everyone would be making fun of me. Uh-huh. So the ball comes out. I actually catch it, and I'm so excited. The crowd behind me goes crazy nice. as soon as I catch yeah. it. Yeah, and I turn around and I give them this big, like, you know, arms spread apart, like, <laughs> "What's up?" I, you know, I, that was the greatest catch of all time. <laughs> and as just as I do that gesture. The uh, ump runs over and calls the batter out. The Blue Jay. The Blue Jay out. And so I'm like, I I can't believe this. Like, what are you talking about? And I'm trying to get the judgment. I'm asking around, like, what happened? And he's like, I think you may have been in. I'm I'm here with my friend. He's like, I think you might have been in the field of play. I'm like, there is no way I was in the field of play. I would not do that. I stayed (laughs) exactly where I was. I stood up. I reached my hands up. There's no way I was in the field of play. So I'm sitting there and I'm like all pissed off about this and, and you know, everybody around us is there's all the buzzing going on and we can't believe they called him out and I'm holding the ball still. <laughs> and this guy comes down, the security guy comes down, and uh, he's like he's like, Hey, you gotta give me the ball. I'm like, Oh, really? He's like, Yeah he's like, Yeah, you gotta give it to me. So I give I give the security guy the ball. And he's like, what happened? And I'm like, I swear, like, I was not in the field of play. I stood up. I grabbed. I reach up. I remember this specifically. I didn't do it. I really would not do it. And and I would never intentionally uh, do something like that. So he, only in Toronto, do they actually give me the ball back and let me stay in my seats, which is incredible. I would have kicked out of every stadium in the United States. Canada nice, right? Canada nice. They let me stay in my seats. I keep the ball and i'm sitting there and i'm just like i can't believe this so i get on my phone eventually and i'm like i got to see if there's a replay or something <laughs> i go and i get the replay and uh, actually it was my friend he he pulled it up on his phone he just he just he just looks at me and he just goes and he just holds me he just holds the phone up <laughs> and as i see the ball comes down i am multiple feet into the field of play. Like I am leaning way over the fence. That is awesome. My arms are outstretched yeah. and I'm like, "Well, maybe it's not that bad." It, then for some reason, it's the angle. They have the perfect angle yeah. right down the fence to see me go how ex- exactly how far. I literally <laughs> take it from right above the raised player's glove as he's about to catch it <laughs> and I take it out, snag it. Okay, it was a good call by the ump to call me out. But I will I do maintain that this guy was catching the ball anyway so i didn't actually hurt That's right. the blue jays okay it you was not a negative effect you didn't cost
1: them a, a world's championship you know like martmand uh, like or anything no it wasn't that bad what inning was that cuz if you had been kicked oh, out that would have been bad yeah right? it was very early it was like yeah. the th-
0: i feel like it was like the maybe third or fourth inning they were losing yeah. badly it was a bad season uh-huh. i mean it could have okay. been it could have been worse but I, uh, I i remember going back and you know there's a couple a lot of people will go and see there's a particular montage on youtube um, called, like, Fan Ejections. Yes. <laughs> and I am in this. Yes, you are. First of all, fact check, did not get ejected. Uh-huh. Uh, I did <laughs> not get ejected for this. Um, but uh, uh, I will say that, like, it, it, it comes back to me relatively often because people wind up seeing it uh-huh. just randomly in this YouTube thing. And, you know, uh-huh. I, I – Long term, it was worth it. They actually go, he goes, uh, oh, he thinks it's funny. He's not going to be laughing for long. That's what the announcer <laughs> said. Like, good job, big guy. They said. That. <laughs> and then I remember waking up in the morning. You know, you wake up in the morning. You're on like one of these trips, a guy trip, and you get up in the morning. You flip on Sports Center. I flip on their equivalent of Sports Center, and oh, there's yeah. my fat face, <laughs> just and <laughs> my stupid like I'm the badass <laughs> gesture, just as they called the guy out. It was it was a fun trip though, worth it. That's awesome. And if you ever do see a compilation or some sort
1: of new reference to Stu catching this foul ball at the Toronto Blue Jays game, be sure to tag him on social media. Uh, On Twitter, it's at StuDoesAmerica. Yes, please do. Okay, so we jumped right in there with your awesome story of... And by the way, if it makes you feel any better, Mm -hmm. I was actually ejected. Not allowed to come back into a game once. Now that I think about this, I had just started at a radio station in Atlanta. It was the flagship of the Falcons. And the news director gave me a press pass and said, ah, eh, it's no big deal. They never check these things, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I go up there and I have Bill's press box pass. And I'm just, I'm just up there. I'm just watching. He goes, the only rule, the only rule key that you can't cheer. And I'm like, ah, okay, I'll do it. I'll just sit there quietly. Right. Mm-hmm. So I ended up watching the Falcons and the saints and it was a terrible year. And
0: <laughs> most of them are, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> you have to narrow it down a little bit.
1: Yeah. It was about three minutes into the game. And I was uh, enjoying myself, and then up comes uh, the guy who runs the press box there for the Falcons, the the media guy, and he just asked to see my press pass. He goes, you're not Bill, takes it, and he leads me to an Atlanta police officer who escorts me to the elevator, and out I went. So I ended up listening to the game. I had if remember these things, uh, like a Walkman back in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm on the Marta train listening to the game instead of watching in the press box. I go to work the next day expecting to get reamed by uh, my former boss, Ken Charles, who calls me in and just says, dude, next time, why don't you just have them bring you up to the WGST booth? You could have watched the game with me and Mikhail Gorbachev was at the game watching. <laughs> so apparently I was supposed to be watching the game with Mikhail Gorbachev. Maybe that's why security was so tight or whatever. Maybe, yeah.
0: But bottom line is... that was a very random person it, to be watching a Saints-Falcons game. Isn't that
1: something? That mm-hmm. was interesting. But anyhow, not as cool as your story. I didn't get a souvenir. <laughs> Hell, I didn't even get to watch the game. But anyhow. Okay, so we jumped right into the sports stories there. Let's go back to the very beginning of your life. You were born surprisingly not in Toronto, no, not in Philadelphia. You're an Eagles fan. Mm-hmm. You were born in Terrytown, New York. Yes. Where is that in New York?
0: Uh, Terrytown. Uh, the The Tappan Zee Bridge is uh-huh. there. Um, yeah. That's exactly where Terrytown is. It's. It was a town that kind of got. They tried to. It, part of it was called Sleepy Hollow. And so, like the you know the the, the famous story, obviously. Yeah. Um, so they kind of tried to have tried to play that up since. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, there was a there's a famous country club there as well. Is Sleepy that Hollow Country is, Club? Is that the Sleepy Hollow I from the story? It, I, I think so. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, I, it's yeah. But I was uh, I was born there and, and lived uh, in New York when I was very young. Okay. Um, it's where my grandparents lived uh, for most of their lives, and I would go up you know every summer to go visit them uh near not in Terrytown, but near uh, that area, okay, but you grew up mostly in Connecticut, yeah, we moved down to Connecticut uh before before I went to school, so uh, it was pretty early. Mm-hmm. I went to kindergarten in Connecticut, so my my parents decided they did, they didn't want me to go um we were living in Ossining, New York, which was where both of my parents um grew up and met in high school. And they, you know, they didn't. They thought the town was a little too rough and tumble for uh, a little boy of my uh, my toughness level, I guess. Uh, so they were like, "Why don't we move?" I don't know near the beach in Connecticut. It's about all like, that kid can take. Uh, so yeah, we moved to near near the beach in kind of the shoreline Connecticut area, and I grew up, you know, in a town called Old Saybrook, and then Clinton in Connecticut when I was young.
1: Okay, very good. And like me, you are an only child, except for you know. Stepbrothers, yeah, only childs rock. Uh, they're the best. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We're
0: better than you. If you have <laughs> brothers and sisters, just cool. so you know.
1: This is why we don't share things.
0: Mm-hmm. We're very special, mm-hmm. and we want to be treated as very special. We want all the attention, and uh, that's the way we are.
1: And there's a reason why our parents stopped at one. It's because they attained perfection early. Yeah. What
0: are they going to do? You can't. You can't follow this thing up. That's pretty much what it was. I'm sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, when you were a kid, did you think, man, I want to grow up and have this kind of job? Where you are co-host of a national radio show, host your own show on the network Blaze TV. Did you think, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this someday?
0: Um, pretty young, yeah. I mean, I I really got into the idea of wanting to do sports yeah. uh, first, mm-hmm. and so I was you know I loved playing sports and and was very very into sports. Pretty much a big stat nerd <laughs> uh, before it was cool. Now now all these guys, are like oh, Moneyball, all oh, these guys can all be executives. Back in the day, no one cared. They didn't care that I liked stats. they just thought I was a loser. Um, and so I, But I was very much into that, and I got into uh, wanting to do kind of first off, really wanting to do sort of play-by-play and calling games. Uh, I really We used to go and have, you know the, the typical story. I had the tape recorder. Mm-hmm. This was a, back in the cassette days. Uh, we'd roll the tape recorder and we, we would call games and do play by-play and color watch the games on TV and record them and, um, and, uh, and record to cassette and then listen back to them, uh-huh. and I did that. <laughs> I, I really wanted to do that for a very long time. I got into sports talk radio kind of after that. Okay. I listened to WFAN in New York quite a bit, uh, and my dad, me and my dad used to listen to – that was when Imus was on. It was Imus and Mike and the Mad Dog, and it was just an incredible, an incredible lineup, an incredible station, and, and I listened to that all the time, and I really got into sports radio and kind of wanted to do that okay. for a while. Um, and over time, I guess it was probably – You know, high school, maybe after high school, I started kind of getting some interest into the more newsy politics sort of side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I listened to Rush Limbaugh when I was um, right after... I remember right after high school, particularly listening to him a little bit and kind of being amazed that every single point that people brought up, he always had a great answer to it. And, and, you know, I was never... We weren't a particularly political household, I wouldn't say. Um, But I do remember... You know back in the day watching like you know family ties and thinking michael j fox was cool and it's like that's the exact opposite of what you're supposed to take from that show uh-huh. he was supposed yeah. to be the loser i know and he was supposed to be but i thought he was the coolest kid you, in the world
1: uh, you and i man i swear <laughs> we've had the same experiences I know. We're, we were born months apart we were both into yeah. sports talk radio in fact how i discovered rush is because i had the see the falcons were blacked out quite a bit in atlanta Hmm. And so you'd have to listen to him on the radio. (laughs) And I remember one day, for whatever reason it was, teachers conference, something like that, I came home and the radio that was tuned to the Falcons from the day before or what have you, there was this guy, Rush Limbaugh, I started listening, and I was in high school and I was hooked. So I'm right there. with. I mean, this is the exact same path, Mm -hmm. including the Michael J. Fox on Family Ties thing. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, It's funny because, I, you know, I always think it's kind of strange that I remember several years ago there was kind of a big fight between Rush and Michael J. Fox because he said something, he made some joke about him on the air, and it was kind of one of of those, like, two-week controversies where, like, Rush Limbaugh said this about poor Michael J. Fox, and it was a big media dust-up. And I'm like, these are kind of the two guys that are most responsible for for me being (laughs) a conservative. And (laughs) it's like, Rush would be be proud probably of of, of converting someone michael j fox would be horrified he was like converting (laughs) people to being republicans without his knowledge without
1: knowing what he was doing that's funny when did you meet up with glenn when did he come into your world
0: well i you know when i after high school i went down to florida and i listened to one of our uh, now affiliates wiod in miami Uh and they had a legendary lineup at this time this was um they had Phil Hendry local during uh, afternoons. Wow. Before him was Neil Rogers, who was you know an absolute legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Rick and Suds in the morning, um, and they had. But it was just a great lineup beginning to end. And um, that's when I first sort of like it was really Phil Hendry more than anybody else that really got me started in that like idea of bringing talk, being able to talk about things like in the news, but doing them in an entertaining sort of funny way. Now, Phil Hendry has a you know an amazing he's you know, a thousand times more talented than pretty much anybody in the industry, yeah. and also is has a very specific thing that he does. Uh, but like I love the idea of that. I mean, we're never going to do that type of show, but the idea of being able to bring emotion and laughter and passion to this thing that across the nation about ninety percent of the time was, you know. Uh, we're going to talk about what the top tax rate should be today. It's, uh, we show, whoa, What is the, you know, this is the intermittent break of the, you know, it's like you're like, okay, this is just dull and boring, even though it might be important.
1: Yeah. Uh, time out. He says he doesn't do this kind of Phil Hendry type show, oh, yeah. but yet he is the man of many voices, many of them through the telephone, such mm. great legendary voices. I should have made a list before we did this, but, you know, Wilfred mm. uh, from Sun City, Florida. Yeah. From Sun City, Florida. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, oh my gosh your Bill O'Reilly recently <laughs> I was literally rolling
0: in the other room that's not as much of an impression that's just that's just yeah. that's just Bill's mannerisms mm-hmm. uh, where you know I don't know even know what he was doing that day but he was just cracking me up he, uh-huh. he just comes up day like he's so funny he's just like some days he's really fired up and focused and like he's got a, he knows exactly what he's going to say and other days Glenn will ask him this like really detailed question he goes I don't know Beck that's it <laughs> Just like, all right, all right. I, well, thanks for coming on, Bill. <laughs> buttered, uh, but man. yeah, no. I mean, we do a little bit of that. Just, just mainly to illustrate some something that's gone on in the show at some point. Um, but you know, that's it's nowhere near the, the type of show that Phil Hendry does, and he still, I think he still does a podcast. Uh, something, yeah. I think he does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got into that world where I wanted to do kind of a more entertaining <laughs> type of radio. Mm-hmm. So when I got, I came back home uh, to Connecticut, and there was a, I wanted to start getting into the industry i had done like couple, maybe an internship here or there but not a lot you know i hadn't really done anything and uh, i saw a job opening for um, um promotions person at KC 101 in new haven connecticut which was the station that i grew up listening to uh was kind of like the pop station like the you know the you know, they have like the 80s you know back in the 80s they had the countdown with casey Kasem and mm-hmm. you know, rick d's it was like that type of station it was like all the hits um, and with the exception of one brief period in the '90s, where it inexplicably just turned into an alternative station for like a year, <laughs> uh, and I was that was my type of music. I mean, we mm-hmm. kind of like we we have similar taste in music, yeah. And that was my type of music. I loved that station in that period. It was like the mid '90s, um, and they had uh, as a morning show uh, Glenn and Pat in the morning. Wow. Like when I was a kid, that was like you know I was like a teenager. And they had that was the big morning show in town, like Glenn and Pat. Now I didn't listen to Glenn and Pat that much. Um, You know, I knew who they were; they were the big show. But I didn't listen to them that much. I I got up like five minutes before I was supposed to be at school, Uh, so I was I never really listened to morning radio. But I knew of them, and they were the big show on all the billboards and everything. Uh, And so I went to work at the station, basically hanging balloons. You know, going out to you know appearances with the different DJs. You know, you're you're handing out stickers and prizes. Like, I mean, you know, it was a very base level show. And one day I was with Glenn um, at one of his appearances, maybe the second or third one I had ever done with him. And uh, he was, uh, it was like a car dealership. Uh And Glenn is, you got to understand Glenn at this point in his career is not the Glenn Beck of today. Glenn is like, just this, you know, you almost see him like as a as a character on WKRP in Cincinnati, right? Like, he's like That's well said. a frustrated host that used to be a big deal and at this point is just miserable, does not want to do this job anymore. You know, he brought on this guy, Vinny Penn, who's a really talented, funny guy, and he was basically letting him do the show. You know, he would just like... Turn on the mic. Casey 101, that was a hot hit from What's Her Face. And uh, so, Vinny, what about this? And then Vinny would just rant and be funny. <laughs> that was basically the show That's at this point. Show. He did not care. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was talking to him about just radio in general, He and he took the time to ask me about. What I wanted to do with my life, basically, and, and what I wanted to do with my career. And the reason he asked me that was not because he was actually interested. It was because no one was at the appearance. It was just me and him. And it was very awkward because <laughs> he was getting paid a lot of money to be at this uh, car dealership, and no one showed up. Oh, boy. So we're sitting here kind of just BSing, and I, <laughs> I kind of told him my interest and kind of, you know, I was inex- kind God, what was I, like 19 or 20, something like that. I was oh, wow. very excited to get into the industry, and, like, I had, you know, big plans and big ideas, and, you know, you could see that spark, I think, uh, out of someone who was young. And um, I told him that I wanted to do talk radio, which, of course, no, only a loser at 19 years old wants to do talk radio. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Totally. Only, <laughs> right. Only yeah. a loser. Me and you, right? Like, <laughs> I, I, I rest my case. So he, he thought that was interesting. and he, he was looking to change up his career. He was, instead of talking to Britney Spears records, he wanted to be talking about the news. And he was, you know, he was an older guy and, and, and had opinions on the news. So he wanted to start a talk show. Couldn't believe he stumbled into someone who was basically going to work for free to try to – who would do anything to produce a show. So he kind of tested me out on the morning show first, you know, uh, gave me little assignments – that I would actually do, unlike everyone else that came in. You know, everyone else was like trying to get free tickets and hook up with girls. And <laughs> I knew I didn't really want to see any shows and no girls wanted to see me. So it was very easy for me to uh, to just do the work and show up every day. And that's, you know, that's half the battle. Uh-huh. I, it's probably three quarters of the battle today. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um,
0: just showing up was a big deal. And so I worked with him for a while. He wanted to launch a talk radio show and and, and I was there for the launch.
1: Very cool. Very cool. And the rest is history, right? I love the story about how, because your name's Steve. Oh yes. Y- your name is Steve.
0: My name is Steve. But yet it's Stu. But yet it's Stu.
1: And tell us, tell mm. us how that happened.
0: <laughs> well, uh, it was one of the one of the first appearances. I think it was the first time I ever actually like met Glenn, mm-hmm. and it was at a bar. It was called. It's. I think it was. It was called Humphreys, if I remember correctly. Okay, and they had a gig there that they did every week. Glenn and Vinny, and you know they, they, these gigs, as you know, and people don't know necessarily who aren't in radio, but you could get some good cash for this. At least you could back in the day. I don't know what it's like now, but like you could make a lot of extra money going to these bar appearances and and hanging out with the listeners for a couple of hours. It was like a nice part of your of your uh, compensation, right? And so they would go out and they did, they had a weekly gig. I want to, you know, it was like a Wednesday or Thursday night where they would go out there. And of course, Glenn's a recovering alcoholic. He, you know, why he's doing a bar gig, who knows? It's just part of this (laughs) stupid industry. And it's one of my first days on the job in the promotions uh, department where I'm going to hang balloons. So I go out, I blow up balloons, I hang balloons. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to stand there. I don't know anything about what I'm doing yet. It may have been my first, the first thing that I ever did now that I think about it. And so Vinny, who is the Glenn's partner on the morning show, a very outgoing guy, very friendly guy, he'll come up to you, just starts talking to you, joking with you. Uh, so he comes up to me, and it's very loud, and they had just come from a, a Bon Jovi concert. So there's a, a Bon Jovi concert that night. They did a meet and greet with Bon Jovi and some of the listeners. Okay. And this guy, Vinny, is a huge Bon Jovi fan. Like... The biggest Bon Jovi fan I've ever met in my entire life by a thousand miles. Uh, (laughs) I just don't. I mean, I've I've met some pretty big Bon Jovi fans, actually, being from, uh, you know, the Northeast. This guy is like the biggest. So he meets him. I think he got his guitar signed. He is in like euphoric state. Of course, because he's meeting his hero, he has too many drinks before it. And then he's going (laughs) to a bar. So he's hammered at this point. So he comes up, he's talking to me. I'm very, I don't know, you know, anything. I've never met him. I'm intimidated. I'm, you know, uh, uh, just starting out. But he's very friendly, talks to me, and he says, what's your name? And I say, Steve. And what he hears is, does not hear the whole name. (laughs) And just kind of assumes it's Stu. Now, later on, he... I think it was the same night, clarifies, like, oh, Steve, Steve, well, I'm just going to keep calling you Stu. He thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Because like, he said my name, I'm like, no, it's Steve. And he's like, oh, I just got to keep calling you Stu. That's so awesome. he calls, keeps calling me Stu. Later on in that night, I meet Glenn, and Glenn is not an outgoing guy. He's much more reserved. He's kind of sitting in the back. He's not mingling nearly as much. We don't talk all that much. Um, so eventually, we go through this thing. I have this meeting with him at the, that I described before at the, uh, at the car dealership. Uh, and I start interning on the morning show. I'm on the morning show a lot. Then I, I wind up being kind of a getting hired and becoming the producer and all these things. And somewhere in that process, we're on the air and it might've been my birthday and we're talking for some reason about my birthday. I don't know. Glenn was very desperate for content at this point. <laughs> and he says something like, you know, stew, you know, what, 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 happened with that? Was your, would your mom have a bowl of stew and just name you stew? I remember that joke because it really wasn't his strongest joke. It was not.
1: Especially when you consider that's not even
0: your name. <laughs> right. And I said, well, that's an interesting story. I mean, it would be really funny if it was actually my name, but it's not my name. <laughs> just so you know. And this is on the air. On the air. And, he, and now it's been months where he's been calling me Stu. Now, I kind of thought that the lore of this story kind of winds up me being like, when he tells it, you didn't even correct me. You could have just told me. You could have corrected me. Now, first of all, he was b- oblivious to everything, so he wouldn't have noticed anyway. <laughs> Secondarily, I kind of just thought he was in on the joke, right? Like, uh-huh. I thought he just knew Vinny's joke and was thinking it was funny, so he went along with it. But no, he was just oblivious and didn't know my name. <laughs> uh-huh. So months of this go by, and finally he gets it kind of revealed, slapped into his face in the middle of the show. On the air. And, and the result of this is sad in that you know, my mom uh, and my dad named me Steve. Was named after my dad, oh. uh, and now I am called Stu by literally every single person in my life, with the exception of my mom, um, <laughs> and some other close relatives, like you know from back in the day. But everybody I know now calls me Stu, uh, which is why I go out of my way, like when I'm like coaching my kids' little league team, to be like Coach Steve. <laughs> you know what? Steve is my name, at least for this you know, the next 45 minutes.
1: <laughs> now, what if some kid called you Stu though? How would you take that?
0: I mean, I don't care. I, mean, I You know, you realize I, I really don't care, um, but it's nice to at least keep it alive, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is my name and everything. <laughs> I like I like it to be alive on something other than a tax form. Other than a legal document, yes.
1: exactly. Uh, there's other jobs that you've done. I just, I got to explore, what is a spot welder? What is that? <laughs> what, is that? Gosh. It like, it, what it sounds like to me, okay. it sounds like a way that I could injure myself that i haven't yet accomplished
0: ah yeah. <laughs> yes first of all it absolutely is okay um so i in high school you know you could go work at a fast food place or you can go work you know mowing lawns or you can do those things i came up with i think which was a brilliant life hack at this time mm-hmm. and uh, i did it with a couple of my friends which was the temp agency Now, the temp agency uh, that we went to would give us these jobs, and the big thing when you're in that age group, like, the biggest problem you have is you do a job (laughs) for two weeks. You're absolutely bored of it. You want to kill yourself, (laughs) uh, but you have to keep doing it, and it, like, drags on for the whole summer. Uh Uh-huh. Temp agency was the other side of this. I don't even know if these things exist anymore, to be honest, but you would go in there, and you'd get a job for, like, one week, and you'd work at a place for one week and then the job would end, and you'd go back to the temp agency, and they'd give you another job for, like, one week. So, you'd be half the time, you're kind of just learning it, and it's new, and you don't get bored of it. It yeah. doesn't seem nearly as tedious. Uh-huh. So, I did all sorts of jobs for this. I mean, I was doing, I did, you know, I worked for, like, a service master type of place where I would go in after, like, fires and clean, like, soot off of walls. Some of the jobs sucked. Wow. <laughs> you know, I worked at, wow. uh, I worked for Turtle Wax. You know, Turtle Wax? Is that a uh-huh. company that people know? Yep. Um, and I had shipping things, and I th- apparently shipped... Too many th- wrong things to the wrong people, so oh. I got blown out of that place. Oh, no. uh, and I did, and it was like every week you'd be in another, another job. The spot welder uh-huh. job was a job I worked with a guy, I think his name was Nate. And really, so he, I, I, I was not actually a spot welder. I was a spot welder's assistant, which is like, and, and like kind of like Dwight on The Office. I was assistant to the spot welder. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't assistant spot welder. I was assistant to the spot welder. Awesome. And um, this guy, Nate, uh, was he was the spot welder and he did all these basically like i don't know how to explain it except like it would be like these giant sheets of metal and they'd need to join in two different places or and they need to be like bent and then like joined into certain places so it was like a weld like not a long line of a weld if you picture it that way which is a little tiny spot like there'd be spots all over Uh and they had this particular thing and so it was really hot uh, sparks flew all over the place it was summer and there was no air conditioning. Oh no! So it was windows, doors open. It's you know again, it's Connecticut, so it's not 110 degrees, but it's 90 degrees and really humid. Yeah. And it is awful. It's tough. And I the one thing I'll remember about that job, other than it being really hard work and Nate being a good guy, uh, or at least a nice guy. I don't know if he was a good guy or not. Because the <laughs> one of the first things he said to me once I started was was to offer to buy for me to buy drugs from him. Now. <laughs> Now, I was I, – again, I'm a total loser, and I would – like, this is not even – like, I wouldn't even know what he was talking about. Like, I, I have no concept – you know, I played sports. That's all I basically did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did not buy drugs from him. In fact, I didn't even know what he was talking about. He was trying to, like, walk me through with all the lingo that you use as a drug dealer. Um, <laughs> and I did not understand what he was saying. I, like, I don't know if he thought it was a cop wearing a wire. Yeah. I was, like, trying. <laughs> if it makes you
1: feel any better. Yeah. Uh, I had a guy move into college uh, when, when I was going to school at Nebraska. And first thing he said to me, hey, man, you know I can get some bud? <laughs> I said, you know what? I don't drink. Uh, I know that <laughs> I got some friends here that, uh, which was true. I didn't drink at the time.
0: Right. You're like two steps below right. where you're supposed and, to be. And
1: my friends who were hanging out were like laughing. They're like, dude, he's talking about marijuana. I was mm. like, oh, my bad. Uh, my bad. bad. <laughs> Sorry. But, so I've been there. I know what you mean. Yes.
0: I've never <laughs> been cool. So that's never actually happened.
1: Okay. So Spot Wilder's assistant. Mm-hmm. I know there's a story in there with your furniture uh, furniture delivery stuff
0: I was I did work uh furniture yes I was a after a while I graduated from the spot welder uh <laughs> taking soot off of wall jobs there's two levels of the temp agency <laughs> and once I got friendly with the lady who was giving out the jobs, I was able to kind of get into worm myself into the office side of things into
1: the places where they're climate controlled
0: right okay the office side of things is is like the like it's like the upgrade mm-hmm. right you're going into the major leagues now and so I got a job <laughs> at a place called uh, BKM, which was a uh, it's, it's still around. I think I bought by somebody, but I think it's still around. It's like a big office furniture provider, and in Connecticut. And um, you know, my friends were getting the job at like in, as on the delivery trucks. They would go and have to lift the furniture and bring Ooh. it into each room. Ooh. I got a job as a scheduler. Nice. So I was assistant to this one guy, a great guy Ed, who um, passed away years ago now. But he was um, really nice guy and just was like super cool and uh so i was able to do uh schedule furniture deliveries and installations that was my job and like again i have no ability to do these things like i'm just making it up as i go along he's trying to teach me he thinks i'm a complete idiot probably because <laughs> i can't figure this stuff out uh, but this was right in our crossover time when i was going that i was doing that job when i started in radio so i was working i would go in with glenn in the morning at 5 30 in the morning and i would work Eventually got this worked out, so I'd work five thirty to ten on the morning show with Glenn. I would drive immediately from there to the the delivery installation uh furniture job wow. and work ten thirty to four then I would go from there i go back to the station and work with Michael Mays the afternoon guy from four thirty to I guess it was seven or eight um and then I would have these promotions at night, oh. so it was just like these days were endless, but like you know I just loved it yeah. i you know. I love doing it, and, you know, when you have... When you're in that mode where you just don't care, you don't care... I didn't care about anything else in my life. I didn't, you know, I never talked to a girl in this period. I, uh, I barely had any friends, but I was just there working all the time.
1: So, you mentioned, you know, not not meeting girls,
0: but at some point you met your wife, Lisa. <laughs> I did. How did that happen? So, I'm on... Uh, this is when I'm at the same station, KC 101, and she... um I was working for The Morning Show as the producer of The Morning Show at this point. My first actual job in radio, other that wasn't like part-time, you know. Um, it was like my first job on a show. And I'm working there for, I don't know, I don't know how long it could have been. It couldn't have been, wasn't even a full year mm-hmm. working on that job. And uh, the midday uh, girl who's in After Us gets a new intern. Uh, and I'm noticing uh, this particular <laughs> intern... <laughs> Pretty good looking. (laughs) Now, uh, that sounds pretty creepy uh, now. However, I will say this is uh, 1998. So I am at this point 22. And she's 20-ish. So, I mean, it's not creepy, as creepy as it sounds uh, (laughs) when you're saying I'm hitting on an intern. Funny part about this, the timing of that is... The Monica Lewinsky time. Like, that's going on right then. So, like, Bill Clinton is being busted for dating interns. We're talking about it on the air while I'm dating an intern.
1: Wow. Um, which is was bizarre. <laughs> but uh, so,
0: and again, I have, I mean, I, I tell you, Keith, I have absolutely no game whatsoever. Like, I would have probably never talked to to my wife, Lisa, uh, even though I thought she, you know, was very good looking and wanted to talk to her. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. how do you, what was your in? So, yeah, we go, we have
0: this, um, <laughs> so pathetic this is a very pathetic story i warn you in advance <laughs> so we have doing local radio you remember this keith you eventually You sometimes if you're a big show you'll get these like trips and you'll go um and we, we went to i think it was atlantis in the bahamas okay. and it was right when it's opening oh wow so it's me you know uh glenn Vinny, maybe a couple of other tech people and stuff and we get to, uh, like a week to do shows we're doing the show live from atlantis in the Bahamas, it was like the second week it was open or something.
1: Is this where you do the show in the morning and then you're free the rest of the day? Or?
0: Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, cool. it was just the morning show, so we you know we had some prep and stuff to do, mm-hmm. but it was pretty free. Right. It was a it was a fun time. You know, everything was paid for. It was pretty cool. Nice. So before we went on this trip, I, I I would talk to Barb, who was the lady at the front desk, and Barb was awesome. Like she was just like she was just like she knew everybody. She was just the best. And so I would be walking out. She was kind of the confession. Uh, booth for everybody wow, at yeah. the station, you know, so it was that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I went up, I you know, I multiple times. I'd gone up to her and said, ah, it, like she's like she would say to me, like you like that, Lisa, don't you? And I, you know, she just picked this stuff up, you wow. know. And I'd be like, oh, she's yeah, yeah, she's pretty good looking, you know. She would and never talk to me in a hundred <laughs> years, but yeah, no, she's yeah, you know, she's. Uh, you know, and if you've ever seen my wife, you can see her on uh, social media and such. She's yeah, what, very much out of my league. What's her handle
1: for people? Want? Uh, she
0: is uh, uh, Lisa Page. Made me do it. Uh, she has a <laughs> podcast. You can go subscribe to that. She would love that, of course. Lisa but Page she's on Instagram a lot. Made me do it. Yeah. Okay. So um, she's wanting to get into radio as well much more naturally talented than I am and also very good looking. So I had mentioned it to Barb a few times, you know, just as a you know, a conversation, you know that we had had. She's like, "You should talk to her." And I'm like, "I'm never going to talk to her. That's not going to happen." So anyway, while I'm away at the Bahamas, she talk she Barb this woman who's, you know, uh much older, uh, you know, she I don't remember what her age was, but she was, you know, like, she was like, you know, older than I, not not like in our age group. Um, and she uh, she decided to pull Lisa aside and say, you know that Stewie, he loves you. Oh no! Oh Stewie, he likes you. You should talk to him. Uh-huh. And she does the whole pitch for me, so I don't have any of the awkward moments. Now I don't even know this is happening. <laughs> I get back and she says, oh, I, by the way, I I talked to Lisa about you. I'm, I'm like <gasps> horrified, right? Like, <laughs> no, you don't understand. I wanted to live my life alone. <laughs> that was my plan. <laughs> I had it all mapped out. I'm living the life perfectly. I've nailed uh, this lifestyle.
1: Barb, I was just making conversation yes. when I was
0: up here with you. Yes, <laughs> and so she apparently, he apparently, uh, she apparently talked to Lisa about me, and and said you should you should uh, you should give him, give me your number. I'll give it to Stu. Uh-huh. So I get back from this trip and just get like handed this phone number, and I'm just you know of course mortified. Uh, but she, you know Barb gave me the sense that it went pretty well. Uh-huh. So now that the hard work is done, I'm Uh-oh. like, I might as well call. Uh-huh. So I actually do call. We have a nice conversation. We go okay. out a couple days later. And I mean, basically have gone out every day since. That is awesome. Yeah.
1: That is very cool.
0: I don't know how it happened. It's inexplicable. Uh, yes, a lot of people have messaged me on social media pointing out that I've married up. I don't <laughs> need to hear it again, really. I've heard it. <laughs> so just in case you're thinking about doing it again, you don't need to. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Look for At The Mike Show on Twitter to connect.